So the last couple of classes, I've been encouraging people to do journal writing and to be working with uh, buddies. Can I just check and see if anybody's been involved with any of that? Has that happened? She had the best intentions, but... <laughs> <laughs> we can give you a gazillion excuses. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Um, were you here for the last session? I was not. Okay. So you have a food pass. You know, there's an interesting um, process of what happens in this kind of a thing, because in this kind of a context, you're all looking at me, and so your focus is on me, and because particularly the way I'm dressed, I wear robes and I've got a shaven head, and um, I... You know, people tell me that I have a peaceful consonance. They think that the closer that they look at me, that the more they're going to get it. But my job here is actually to try and convince you that that's actually not the way it's going to work. The way it's going to work is when you pick up the practice and actually take these things into your own lives. And so in some ways, it's a little bit of a, of a deception. Because I'm sitting here, you're focused on me. I need to create a mirror so that it actually reflects back on you. And so my hope in these... This is on meditation, and you'd be welcome to join. Yep, they're part of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Sheila. Lucas, Sheila, this is Sister Amma. Hi, welcome. Yeah, yeah. So my, my hope um, would be that I can give you enough of, uh, of uh, understanding about why this is important to do for people to become motivated to then bring this into your own lives because that's where the juice comes from. As beautiful as I might be to look at, it's not (laughs) going to come from looking at me. I can promise you. (laughs) Or from looking and seeing how peaceful I might be, that's not going to get you there. So in the same way that if you have an idea that you want to do some exercise, no matter how many books you read about it, and no matter how many people you look at who are fit, at some point it's got to be where the the tire meets the road, you know, where we actually have to bring this into our lives and understand the value of that. And so what my hope has been and continues to be is is that you get it. There's a there's a spark that ignites that there's some value that happens in bringing these qualities into your own life. So the framework that I've been working with because I thought it would be useful is the framework of developing emotional intelligence as an asset for cultivating strengths that build team and leadership and success in an entrepreneurial world. Um, because I, my sense would be that that would be an easier frame for you to understand than the frame that I naturally inhabit, which is just a purely contemplative frame. You know, that's the one that I'm most familiar with. So to bridge, to make it easier for you, I picked up this other frame uh, of developing emotional intelligence as a way of developing the skills that are needed to be part of a thriving leadership and a thriving team, a thriving business. Because without emotional intelligence... These things absolutely are not, they don't happen. So when we look at emotional intelligence, the ability to understand both your own emotions and tune in and respond to the emotions of the people around you, we can see that the people who have high emotional intelligence, they usually know what they're feeling. They know how their emotions affect other people. And it also means that they're they're more skilled in in being able to shift what is arising to positive emotions in their minds and their hearts. So just for a moment, just take a moment and consider a couple of people that you know who are like really five-star leaders. So just think, you know, who do you know who's like exemplary in their leadership? Okay? And when you think about them, how many of them score high in your own sense, your own uh, your own subjective evaluation of their self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. Okay? So these 
five things are the bundle that creates high emotional intelligence. And so if we ourselves are wanting to put ourselves in a position where we are notching up into layers of greater skill, greater effectiveness, higher efficiency, higher effectiveness with our teams, then it is imperative that we also take on this learning. So when we look, the last class we were looking at self-regulation and and self-awareness. When we look at empathy, which is going to be the theme and social skills of the theme of this presentation, we can see that the brain uses the same mechanism, the same equipment for self-awareness as it does for empathy. And so if you wire a person up electronically into pain centers of their brain and you stimulate the pain centers and you can read where in the brain gets lit up, okay? One's own capacity to register pain is the same place that it gets lit up in the brain as if you are wired up exactly the same way and somebody that you care about is also suffering. So if you watch somebody else that you care about suffer, the same part of your brain is going to light up. So the mechanics, the neural wiring that is self-aware is also what builds empathy. The implication is is, is that the more that we develop our own self-awareness, then the more that we can naturally be empathetic in our relating to others. So empathy is not psychologizing, okay? It's not when somebody is coming and telling you a pain that they have or a problem that they have, it's not telling them that probably the reasons are rooted in their early childhood relationship with their mother, okay? That is not empathy. (laughs) And it's not empathy to fix the problem What is empathy is to feel the problem and to get a sense of how they feel as a result of the problem. So one of the things that I've been doing repeatedly at the end is doing some dialogue practices. And the dialogue practices is really to help us focus on not fixing the other person, whatever they're feeling, but actually just to feel it ourselves. And we'll have a chance to do a little bit of that today. So empathy is also not necessarily agreeing, okay? So it doesn't mean that we have to agree with the other person's position in order to feel the emotional content of where it's coming from. What this means then is is that you can be empathetic and still actually have to navigate very difficult choices, On the way down here, my brother was telling me that, you know, there's somebody in his company that he needs to fire, and he's known this for a few months, and how painful that is to see him every day and know that there's this impending conversation that is coming up. And then when I was doing the preparations for this and looking at the book and Search Inside Yourself, you know, they they mentioned um, uh, two companies that knew that they had to lay off all of their employees because the plants were closing down. And in one company, in the General Electric company, they told everybody two years before it was going to happen, and they completely cranked up the human resources department to support people to help them find other jobs. So they were present, they were honest, they were transparent, and they were supportive. And then in a second company, they laid them off with one week's notice. There was no support. There was no empathy. There was no backup. And then a year later, when they interviewed the employers, at the employees at the various companies, in the first company, 93% of those people felt that it was a good place to work and that they enjoyed their time there, as compared to 3% in the second company. So even though both had the same result, which is, is that they both had to close their plants and every person was laid off, the result of goodwill as contrasted to bitterness and uh, kind of, um, you know, a bad rapport, bad reputation, was huge. 
So in one instance, the empathy was very high. In the other instance, it was almost non-existent. And the consequences of that had quite a repercussion. Okay? So when we are looking at increasing empathy, one of the things that we can see is, is that empathy increases with kindness. There's a direct correlation between our capacity to feel another person's, uh, the emotional content of what they're experiencing, and our capacity to feel kindness for that person. And one of the very interesting things is, is, is that empathy increases with a sense of perceived likeness. So if you see somebody who you identify as being somebody very much like you, similar to you, that it's a lot easier to feel kindness for them. It's a lot easier to feel empathy for them than somebody who you experience as being different or other. And so they have done tests with people in different racial groups. And in groups where people are in the same racial group, they have more perceived sense of similarity. And so it's easier to experience empathy. And interestingly enough, this also happens with political views. So if you know that the person you're speaking to is of the same political viewpoint that you share, your capacity for empathy increases. That if you know that they are the opposite. Because when they're the opposite, they are other. And when they are other, that somehow takes them further away from our own sphere of who we identify ourselves to be. And that blocks the capacity for kindness to naturally flow. So one of the things then, if we know this is the mechanics of kindness and empathy, then one of the ways that we can train our thinking is to look for the ways that we are similar. And the more we are able to look for the ways that we are similar, the more we are going to be able to generate kindness and empathy as a result. And this is a mind training. Okay? This is not... I mean, it might be something that we have, we, we are born with or our values of our family or the values of our society. But we can train ourselves to think about the ways that we are the same. So one of the principles of training, mental training, is, is that the more you think about something, that will become the inclination of the mind. What we think, we make a habit out of. What we make a habit out of, we feel. What we feel, we become. So, when we move from not feeling kindness, not feeling empathy, to changing that, to looking for the places where we have a lot in common, when we look for ways of being kind, then that brings about the neural patterning that makes it possible to experience empathy. When we give forth empathy, then there's a whole bunch of other consequences that result. So I want to tell you a story. It's a true story, and it's actually quite a remarkable story. One of the monks in the monastery, his father committed suicide, and he was the one who found his father. And so, you know, it's a shock. I mean, it's actually it's a trauma, okay? And so for afterwards, for a number of months, every time he thought of his father, his whole mind and body went into almost like a trauma vortex, okay? So he decided that he he wanted to shift that. So what he decided to do was he deliberately thought of kind things that he could do for people in the monastery. Now, when you live in a community and you live in the monastery, there's an endless number of kind things you can do for people. 
you know, take people's socks off the laundry line before the rain comes, bring a cup of tea when they come home from teaching at night. If you see somebody whose robes are ripped, which most of our robes are ripped, you know, after we're senior and we don't have so much time to fix them ourselves because we're busy teaching, to sew them. Or if you've got to know somebody's got something that's broken, to fix it. So he deliberately sought out kind things to do to his brothers in the monastery. And then he would organize it so that he would be around when they discovered that some act of kindness had been deliberately done for them and watch their face light up. And when he watched their faces light up, he'd say to himself, Dad, this is for you. So after a period of a couple of months, when he thought of his father, his association were all of these bright faces that had lit up as a result of the kindnesses that he had done, rather than the trauma of what happened when he saw him. This is mind training. And this is absolutely something that everybody has the capacity to do. So when we interact with empathy, we are increasing the likelihood that somebody that we're talking to is going to feel seen, they're going to feel heard, they're going to feel valued and respected, and that there's going to be trust. Trust is fundamental to success on teams. It's fundamental to success in business. It's fundamental to success in skillful negotiation. That the person that you are speaking to actually feels like you have their best interests at heart. Or if not their best interests at heart, you know what their bottom line interests actually are. Okay? If there's no trust, it's very difficult for those things actually to unfold in a graceful way. Mark Lesser, who's an accomplished executive coach, he came up with this pyramid where when you establish trust and then you listen and then you ask probing and open-ended questions and provide feedback, that creates the context where it's possible to come forward with options and practices that are skillful and supportive to what is needed. And Patrick uh, Lencioni described teams that are dysfunctional. And so in his team, he had this pyramid. And the absence of trust, which is the very bottom one, gives rise to a fear of conflict where it's not possible to talk about the difficult things that are going on because you're afraid of the repercussions of what happens if you might speak openly. That brings a lack of commitment an unwillingness to actually see things through to the goal. When there's a lack of commitment, then there becomes an avoidance of accountability. And when there's avoidance of accountability, there's inattention to the end results. So in his pyramid, trust is the foundation that supports success as a, you know, in teams, in businesses, in corporations, in, in, in having goals come to fruition. And so in your world where results are bottom line, there's still in that equation is the appreciation or the need to recognize how trust features as the foundation from which bottom line goals are going to be realized. So there's this thing called vulnerable vulnerability-based trust. And that's the kind of trust when uh, an individual team member has enough confidence in their other teammates that they're willing to expose their own vulnerabilities and know that they will not be used against them. And this kind of vulnerability-based trust ends up being a really important feature in clear seeing of where the issues are. In a, in, a, in a company or in a process or in a, in a delivery so that then they can be addressed. But if what's happening instead of people being able to talk about that 
is that they're covering themselves and they're not disclosing where they think the problems are because they are afraid of what might happen as a result, then you don't get the intelligence and the intuition and the sensitivity of each member operating at their core because they're operating from defendedness of needing to protect themselves that this stuff is not going to be used against them. So it means when there is the capacity for vulnerability-based trust in a team, that the team is going to be a lot more effective. When the team is a lot more effective, then it means that conflicts are going to be able to be addressed. When conflicts are able to be addressed, it means that people feel more of a buy-in and a commitment to their agreements. When they have that commitment, then the accountability naturally coalesces. And when there's accountability, then it is an, an end result that people will be attentive to what the results are and follow through. So what I'd like to do now for the next um, hour is do different meditation practices that bring some of these empathetic and kindness and social skills into our awareness. Okay. Are there any questions in what I've said so far? women process information is different for sure and I certainly know that women are much more able to hold open a conversation without diving into wanting to fix yeah in terms of scales of empathy my sense might be that there's a gender bias but I've known plenty of men who were much more empathetic and compassionate than some women so that's not you know I I don't know what I do know is whatever kind of conditioning we've got, we have to work with it and make the best of it. That's what I know. So whatever kind of general trends there are, in some way, you know, the buck stops here. You know, we're all responsible for the conditioning that we have and for making the best of it. Yeah. So what I'd like to do um, is do a couple of different meditations with you. And then have people pair up, and we'll do some interactive things. Okay, so first of all, I'd like you to sit in a way that feels comfortable and relaxed. And what I'd like you to do is to start with just imagining a um, something that has for you the image of, of, of unlimited kindness. So bring to mind the image of something that's unlimited in kind. And it doesn't matter if it's a person or it doesn't matter if it's an image or an archetype. It doesn't matter if it's a symbol or even an animal. But what really, really matters is, is that for you, this is something that is an unlimited kind of kindness, that it has no expectations there's no strings attached. Now, as you let this image grow in your own heart, in your own mind, then allow that feeling quality of what that kindness feels like to direct it to your heart, to your own self, to your own body. And just notice what you feel like to allow kindness in, to allow kindness to touch you. And let that kindness spread from your heart throughout your whole body so that the muscles, the bones, the organs, begin to really feel bathed in this kindness, washed in kindness.
And as it spreads throughout your body, just notice how your body begins to feel when you feel kindness. Notice if tensions relax. Notice if you start to feel warmer. Notice what happens to your breath. Notice what happens to the quality of your mind, to the mood of your mind. So spreading kindness throughout your whole body. And let it include also the things that you think about and your memories and your dreams and your hopes. And let it include the things that frighten you and scare you. Things that you're worried and anxious about. So that this kindness eventually is able to embrace everything that we know ourselves to be body, thoughts, our moods, our emotions, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our memories, everything. And as we sit with kindness, immersed in kindness, bathed in kindness, awash in kindness, just notice what happens. to your body, to the kinds of things that you feel and think about, to the sense of ease or stress that you're experiencing. And let yourself drink it in. Imagine that this kindness is infinite. And you can drink as much as you want. Every cell of your body can become completely saturated in kindness. That you yourself know what it feels like to have this quality of care, of attention, of well-wishing, wish that you not experience pain, stress, and worry. You have enough support and resource. That you have good team, mentors, colleagues, friends. That your family is healthy and flourishing. Just allowing this quality of kindness and letting it touch all of the parts, all of the places. seeing what it feels like. Now bringing to mind the image of a mentor that you care very deeply about, somebody who really only has your best interests at heart, has nothing ulterior motive in their agenda. And see this person also as an extension of this field of kindness. See them in your own heart that they too have a body, a heart and a mind, that they too can be filled with care and kindness and have their needs met to flourish, to receive kindness. 
and allowing this kindness to spread to your families, your partners, your parents, your children. Every one of them lives with the knowledge of kindness, with the knowledge of care, people looking after them, wanting to see that they have what they need and are supported, both internally with what arises for them and externally in their aspirations in their lives. And allowing this field to spread further. To colleagues at work. And seeing each person you work with, also as a human being with a body, a heart, and a mind, seeing them also filled with care and kindness. And spreading out and including people you don't even know. You have no idea what is going on in their you have no information about them. Recognizing that they too are human. They too feel pain. They too long for happiness. And seeing this group of people Maybe you can focus on one person, somebody that you don't know but you see often, maybe in the gas station or in the supermarket. And the next layer of people we can spread kindness to are people who we have felt hurt by, somehow have let us down or betrayed our trust or harmed us in some way. And when we extend kindness to these people, we do so and be very attentive to how we are feeling as we are doing it. Not in order to suppress our own feeling, but in order to recognize that the hurt that we feel is something that is causing our own body, heart, and mind stress. But as we bring kindness to these people as well, there's a healing that we experience ourselves. So we can share kindness with people that we care deeply about, And we can share kindness with people who we are colleagues with. We can share kindness with people we don't know. We can even bring kindness to people who've hurt us, who've harmed us. And watch what happens in our own body as we do this. Now, just to transition from this practice to the next one, I'd like to encourage people to do um, stand up and do a few minutes of walking meditation, just bringing attention into your body as you're walking. So allowing the thoughts and the feelings of this meditation to be there, 
and just walking, paying attention to what it feels like in your body as you walk. We'll do this for a few minutes, quietly, and then when I ring the bell, we can So I'd like you to pair up, and when you pair up, what I'd like you to do is to sit facing each other. And we have one where there's going to be three. So this practice is something that you can do with another person, whether they're sitting across from you or not. So what I'd like you to do is, I'm going to say phrases, and I just want you to notice what you think and what you feel as I say them, okay? So with everything, it's really helpful to have your basic awareness being rooted in your body so that your body is a frame of reference that you're always referring back to. How you feel, what's happening with the quality of your breath, what's happening with the tension in your diaphragm. How do the palms of your hands feel? How does the back of your neck feel? Because these physical sensations give us a real window into what we're feeling. It's really helpful to let our body help us interpret and know what we're feeling. Yeah. So as you're looking across from each other, just noticing that the person across from you or the two people across from you has a body just like you. So you don't need to say anything. Yeah. Just noticing that they've got a body just like you. And that this person also has feelings. Just like you. And at at this point, at some point, the, the person across from you or the two people across from you has felt sad or disappointed or confused or felt overwhelmed, or felt joyful, felt excited, just like you. And you can see the person across from you, and you can know that at some point in his or her life, they have experienced suffering. just like you. And you can know that the person sitting across from you would like to be free from suffering, would like to be free from pain, just like you.
And you can know that this person sitting across from you would like to be healthy, would like to feel fulfilled, would like to live with peace, would like to have loving and fulfilling relationships, would like to be successful just like you. And you can know that the person sitting across from you would like to be happy. Just like you. So we can change it slightly from seeing how similar we are to then bringing about a heart of goodwill. Just seeing the person across from you and wishing for them to be healthy. Wishing that they have the resources inwardly and externally to meet all of the challenges they have to navigate. To just look with eyes of kindness, with a heart that is open, To wish that this person also be free from suffering. And to wish, without having to say anything, that you wish them well, that you hope that they're happy, that they wish that they feel a sense of joy and contentment in their life. So we can do that in our minds with people we sit with, in our minds before we talk to somebody who is going to be a difficult conversation. And we can do that in our minds with somebody that we're in conflict with, is we can bring about a sense of goodwill for ourselves and for them to get a sense of what we have in common before we navigate the conflict. Now, what I'd like to do is to ask that in your partners, you pick one person who's going to speak and and one person, the other person who's going to listen, and in the three, you'll be in a slightly different time frame. And then what I'd like you to do is is to talk about a situation at work or with a boss or with a colleague that has been problematic. And... What I want the listener to do is to listen not for content about the details of why it's problematic, but listen for the feelings about why it's problematic. Okay? So the listeners are listening to feelings. And as you listen to feelings, see if you can feel what you feel in your own body. If you can know what you're actually hearing registered somehow in your own body. Are those instructions clear? Does anyone have any questions? Okay. So we'll have um, we'll have about three minutes or four minutes for each person. We'll have four minutes for each person and in your team you'll have three minutes. Does that work? Or does it work? <laughs> This AIDS doesn't add up. We can take four and a half minutes and we can have three each. Okay. <laughs> That'll be perfect. Let's do that. Okay. So the person the person who is speaking when you're ready, and now remember with this speaking that the idea of this kind of speaking is not to convey, uh, is to stay connected to your own body experience. So usually what happens when we speak is we get lost into all kinds of ideas about what we think we're supposed to convey and lost into wanting to impress and we get lost into the conditioned patterns around speech and we lose connection with our own body. 
So staying connected to your own body, speaking from that place. And if you notice that you have lost that, then just stop in the middle of the sentence and bring your attention back into what you're physically feeling. And then when you're ready, begin again. And the same is true for the listeners. If you're listening and you get absorbed into what they're saying, or so immersed into the feelings of what they're expressing that you lose connecting with yourself, then just close your eyes and pause and come back into yourself, and then when you're ready, begin again. So this kind of speaking is different than the normal kind of speaking, where we are not allowed, or we think we're not allowed to do that. The priority of this is to stay connected to our own body experience as we're talking and see what happens when we do that. Okay? So, I'm going to ring the bell and when the person, um, when the, when the first person is ready to speak, have you picked who's talking first? When the first person is ready to speak, then when you hear the sound of the bell, please begin. So we're, we're, we're in the territory of, of, of real life. And with real life, there's all kinds of feelings that we feel, yeah? So what I'd like these two to do is to reflect back the feelings that you've heard, yeah? So to reflect back what you've heard each person say. And you might even want to preface that as is that I, what I heard you express or what I heard you feel was. So you're not talking about content. You're not talking about the problem. You're talking about the feeling. Yeah? So take a few minutes to reflect back each for each what whatever been shared, and then we'll have a, a sharing together. Let's gather again, and maybe what is easier rather than you facing me is maybe we can just make a little circle so we can see each other.
And I'm just interested if you'd like to share anything about uh, your experience of doing this and how this was for you. <laughs> Would you like to sign up on the email list? Yeah. So how was that? So, you know, our lives are rich and there's an awful lot, there's an awful lot there. Yeah, an awful lot there. So what was it like to speak? What was it like to listen? What was it like to share in this way? Tense. Tense. Tense in what way? <laughs> what was tense about it? So even if it was uncomfortable, there was some way of staying with it so that something opened up that became more familiar. Yeah. And in the end, did you have a feeling of it being valuable to share in that kind of way? Yeah. So there was, that wasn't a doubt. That, okay, so the, the question was, it's just not familiar with it. Okay. Yeah. I think there's a, a sense of vulnerability. Yeah. Right? You're exposing um, a situation that you found yourself in that was not pleasant and wondering how that would be received by the other person. Will they right. judge you right. for being in that situation? Will they truly understand Right. How you felt being in that situation. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a great vulnerability. And so in that vulnerability, did you feel safe? Yes, um, I did. I, you know, the person that I was sharing it with, I, I felt, had a high degree of empathy. Yeah. Um, you could tell that he, that he did from their reaction. Right. And so to be that vulnerable and to be received with that kind of empathy, what was that like for you? Um, somewhat therapeutic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was uh, good to get it out. Yeah. And just share it with basically somebody who was a total stranger and, and didn't know all the details surrounding the situation and, right. and having them understand and hear and empathize with what that experience was like to go through.
So, you know, you know, emotional intelligence is a sophisticated word, which is a lot more um, palatable for the business world than to say love. But, in fact, what emotional intelligence boils down to is love, you know? And I can talk about that because that's my business, you know? But in the business world, it's like you have to dress it up and use euphemisms because you can't talk about love. You're not allowed to tell people who are your colleagues that you love them, you know. And in the mutual violation, <laughs> right, right. So you've got, we've got, we've okay. So we've got, we've got a society that's gotten tweaked in a particular direction, which makes this general heart opening actually. You're going against some very severe streams to cut across that, to just feel this. But this is actually where life emerges from. This is where fulfillment, this is where ease, this is where the good stuff comes from. And so it's inevitable in relationships with people that there's going to be things that squeeze, that cut, that obstruct, that feel like they're obstacles. But as each of us navigate through those obstacles and come back into a heart that is able to be open and caring and kind for ourselves as well as for others, then we are living in a life that is a life of blessing. And this is true independent of of what is happening in our external circumstances. You know? Yes, please. This is Where is the fear? I'm going against my own nature because I'm afraid that I'm not going to be accepted and that, that my vulnerability will be attacked. I will be judged as weak. And, and in my heart and in, my, in this environment, I see it as strength and amazing, amazing and powerful. But in the world, it's not seen that it's people take advantage of you. Okay, so we have to be careful about when we label the world as what we're doing because, you know, we can make the boogeyman out there and certainly all of us have seen boogeymen. You know, they, it's not as if this is just a pure fantasy of our figment of our imagination. Right, okay. So what's needed, and I keep saying this, is for people to form kinship circles where you've got a couple of like-minded people who have a feeling of the value of what it's like to live with your own authentic reality and have that be the space that you're inhabiting as you're working, you know? Not as some kind of a closet experience that you occupy for five minutes in the day, but as actually the place that you're living from. But because it feels like you will be judged, then you need to have... You need to have companions, you need colleagues, you need, you need conspirators that you can join in with who understand how important it is to be able to be fully who you are in what you're doing. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> now, there's a couple of books that I read. You know, a meditation teacher friend of mine it was doing business stuff. So he was coming into business worlds and helping them with various things, and he was getting paid a gazillion dollars to do this. And so he knew, he bridged both. So he was a meditation teacher as well as a, what do you call them, leader? 
consultants? Yeah. So he'd go into companies and charge a gazillion dollars a day. And so he gave me the names of three books. One was the Fifth Discipline Field Book. The other is um, Leadership Agility. And there's a fourth, the third one. And I've got them all on the Awakening Truth website. And this is exactly about that, that when you have people who are working with the fullness of who they are, everybody wins. Because you've got a culture of people where people are alive, they're authentic, they are who they are. That brings forward the fullness of their intelligence, their intuition, their capacity. That brings forward their capacity to think through problems in creative ways, right? So teams that are able to come from that place of authenticity far exceed and excel and manage to navigate through problems that otherwise would have been insoluble. And this whole leadership system was taken into things like the military and the steel unions and and like the steel union said, you know, we guys are the dogs. If you can make this work with us, it can work anywhere. You know, they were like absolutely in loggerheads. It was completely concrete. There was no movement and people hated each other. Okay. And they brought forward this quality of, all right, enter into the space with authenticity, with aliveness, with the truth, with an interest to know what's going on. And some capacity to see how can we see our similarities rather than our differences. And from seeing that, can we find a way to move forward? I mean, I was in tears reading these stories about the steel union because it is so moving when people are willing to take this kind of material into stuff that feels like no way. There's no way. And there is a way. They all they found a way to move through in insoluble difficulties by bringing forward this kind of intelligence. You need to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and figure out this this thing. <laughs> because that's that's like I think a, a But you see, that's exactly it. You yes. guys need to buddy up together. It's not going to work if you just come and look at me once every two weeks. And I, you know, for myself, it's like, okay, so my mode is normally with people who have meditation as their basis. That's what they're interested in. So it's like, you know, I've been spending hours trying to figure out languaging and models and stuff to bridge that. But it's like, you know, if people are not interested, it's like, whoa, I don't know what I can do. (laughs) You know, if, like, people don't get that there's a value in doing this, I don't know what more I can do to make that apparent, you know. Meditation. Meditation. Why this is actually, it's not like it's a nice idea, you know. Like having a a life that makes sense, that's not insane, that has some balance in it, to me is not just a nice idea. Mm -hmm. I I think it's what you hit on earlier. It it is somewhat counterculture for the Western civilization. And, and I say that coming from someone who has always worked in corporate environments, large companies primarily and some smaller ones. You don't find typically leadership embracing the concept of peace and harmony and meditation. In fact, in my experience, I found just the opposite. I found management styles that love to breed adversity, that love to pit people against each other who love to create conflict and who do perceive people who are empathetic, kind, and nice as pushovers, as meek and uh, not effective in driving the corporate goals forward. I, in fact, one of the stories I shared was with a manager that I had five years ago, a female manager, 
couple of years younger than me, who actually told me, you are too nice. You are too nice. And that was not a compliment. That was a severe criticism. That was a severe criticism. Yeah. You are too nice as you are too ineffective. Right. You are a problem. Right. This is the challenge in which a lot of us find ourselves who are working for corporations who don't embrace this higher... Okay, so what people need to understand is, is, is that you don't have to sell out your values of making something cost-effective in order to bring these things together. And why these stories are so incredible is because everything was so much more effective when they did this. Yeah. The, 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 the groups were much more effective when they were doing this, okay? So... I mean, I know because I've lived in monasteries where the, the senior people are not very conscious. And so having to work against a field of unconsciousness is very different than when you've got leaders who are open and moving forward in that way. But I, I know, I know that, that it's, it's not um, impossible. It just, it's like, for me, it's like, all right, so what do I value? And then I move forward with that. Anyway, we're past our time, so it's lunchtime now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.